Well, guys, welcome. It's great to see you guys. How many were at the bonfire last night? Let's see some hands. That was awesome, wasn't it? That was fun. The flames were crazy high. I didn't even have words this morning in the other sermon. I'm like, they were so high. They were just so high. They were really high. That's all I could say. So it was really cool time. Welcome. It's great to see you guys. The story is told of a man in a small town whose loved one died without having any funeral arrangements made. When the man discovered that the deceased did not have a burial plot, he went to the head of the local church seeking permission to bury his loved one in the parish's fenced-in graveyard. But he was told, I'm sorry, but this graveyard is reserved for members of our church. Besides, there isn't room for an extra grave inside the fence. Well, the man went away disappointed. But the next day he got word that the grave had been dug inside the fence for his family member. He went to the head of the church and said, I don't understand. We're not members here. We're not family. And you said there wasn't any room anyway. How did we get a place inside the fence? The church official said, I thought about it last night and I simply moved the fence out. You see, what that parish official, what that pastor did for a person in need is what God has done for the human race. He has moved the fence by reaching out to us, inviting people to come inside through faith in Jesus Christ. And anyone who is inside the fence has entered into a covenant with God and they have a family now. You're a child of God and you have family You're in covenant. It's what the Bible in Ephesians 4.25 says. We are members of one another. Believers are knit together in a bond, a powerful bond that is critical to the church's function. The church is to be the place where no one stands alone. A Christian without a church is like an organ without a body, a sheep without a flock, or a child without a family. This is why God calls the local church a family in Ephesians 2.19. But what I want you to hear is that you are under family covenant. You have a family, but you're under a family covenant. Think about everything in your life, the way God views you, the ways that he works in your life, the way he sees you, the way he will act in your life in desperate times is always through the lens of covenant. That's how God works. It's covenant. Covenant is central to koinonia. We're in this series about koinonia, fellowship of love, a love fellowship. Covenant is central to it. It's not a contract. A contract can be impersonal, easily broken with loopholes. A covenant, in contrast, is binding together of identity and close relationship. You see, in the ancient days, they would exchange clothes in a covenant. They would exchange blood even and even food, and they would even exchange sons. Can you imagine that? Sounds familiar. God gave his son in a covenant to have us. You see, the covenant is central to God's relationships with mankind. In Old Testament times, the blood of sacrifice animals offered covered sins. When Jesus gave his life on the cross, he became the mediator of a new covenant in which our sins are cleansed not by the blood of bulls, goats, or sheep, but by his sacrifice as savior. The church then is a community of the covenant. Those who share in the sacrifice of God's son. We are the community of the covenant designed for covenant activity. 
Where is that covenant activity? Well, in the Old Testament, if you remember when God brings his people out of Egypt and they're in the desert, what did they put their tents around? What was it called? A tabernacle, the tent of meeting where God's presence came down and they lived around it. And then when they went in the promised land, they built a temple. That was the place of covenantal activity, of covenant activity. So where is that place now? Today, the center of covenant activity is the local church. This is where the people engage in dynamic ministry and the impact of the kingdom spreads. You see, we're it. We're the plan. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm the plan. I want you to say it. Go ahead. I'm the plan. Oh, it's got to be louder than that. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm the plan. Some of you are like owning that. You're like, I'm the plan. I didn't mean it like that. We are the plan. We're God's people engaged in ministry. We are God's strategic strategy to touch the world. To be on mission with God is to be involved in the local church. I love what Reinhard Bonnke says. He says that the church that is not saving the lost is lost itself. Think about that. We are a covenant people. The center of covenant activity is the local church. Listen, each church has a unique assignment and each individual has a unique assignment that can only be truly realized within the local body God has called them to. I don't know if you remember from week one when we started this series, there was a quote that said, salvation is personal, but it's not what? Private. Salvation is personal, but it's not private. Let me put it a different way. Although the covenant with God is extremely personal, it's never private. You need to understand, listen to this, listen to this. You need to understand that your personal relationship with the Lord and your personal choices, whether they're good or bad, always, always affect all the other people in covenant in whom you're around. When you're in covenant, every action, everything you do, it affects the others around you that are in covenant with you for good or bad. Think about this. The church is God's alternative to the world. The church is God's alternative to the world. The church should look at us and see a little piece of heaven on earth, but it's our choice. What are they seeing when they look at TVA? Is it heaven or hell? Because we have the choice what it will be. You see, it only takes one to break fellowship. That's the power of covenant. That's the power of what God does in our church and what he's doing. It's huge. The personal responsibility we have under covenant with each other. You see, how we live affects the rest of the body. We don't always think that. We kind of have the American perspective. Well, my choices are my choices and it won't really affect people around me. But it does. And I love the second one, how the body responds to God also affects our lives. It's crucial. It's crucial. In fact, our fellowship with other Christians can actually validate or invalidate our fellowship with Jesus. And we can miss out on the many benefits of the covenant, the new covenant. When we are in right relationship, we experience these benefits. I'm going to move through these quickly. But for example, in Ephesians 4, 12 through 16, Paul tells us that Christians can only experience spiritual growth they need as they're linked together with other believers. On the other side of the coin, and this is scary to me, in 1 Corinthians 3, 16 to 18, God promises to judge believers who harm the church. 1 Corinthians 12, there's a level of personal care and support that can only be realized in dynamic relationship with the local church. 
And Ephesians 3.10 says, God's power over Satan can only be fully experienced in the context of the covenant of the church. This can only happen when you're dynamically involved in the local church. At TBA, if you call this home, this is your local church. This is where you planted yourself, where God said, this is home, and this is where I want you to commit to covenant. See, the problem is, is that most of us treat church like a cruise ship. Who's been on a cruise ship? I know you, most of you are like, I'm loving me some cruise ship, right? My nephew went on and he ordered, he's a bacon lover. If you're a Stuyvesant, you're a bacon lover, okay? And I know that's most people, but it's a big deal. Mexican food, bacon, ice cream, okay, some really bad stuff that's bad for your health, never mind. But it's some good stuff on there. So my nephew goes and he orders a whole plate of bacon. Now, they didn't just kind of put bacon, you know, kind of this way. It was this way. I mean, it was stacked bacon. But many treat church the same way. This is not a cruise ship. Church is not a buffet. Church is not about getting pampered. Church is not a cruise ship. It's a battleship. And we have a mission. Do you know why it's so wonderful to go on a cruise? You have been? Tell me. I think I might have heard what, what I'm about to say. Because somebody else does everything for you. That's pretty good. I know some moms are like, sign me up to that cruise, right? Some of your moms are like, that, that's heaven right there. That's where I'm going. But see, there's a problem with that because the church is a battleship. It's not a cruise ship. When a battleship engages the enemy, what is the call that goes out all over the ship? All hands on deck, everybody to their station, all hands on deck. Every person on a battleship earns his keep by doing a job that's vital to the ship's victory in battle. And we are on a unique battleship. Some of you are like, you are, this is a unique place. This is a unique battleship at TBA but we have a unique vision, a mission to accomplish what God has. Listen, don't be deceived. We are in a spiritual battle. You may not like the imagery, like the whole Braveheart thing, it might not be your thing, but who's the first in the Old Testament that led the way in the battle? It was the worshipers. God has called us to be first, to go out and worship our God. We are in a spiritual battle. The Bible is the one that uses that whole imagery. And it warns that in the last days, many will be like, well, there's no battle. There's nothing going on. It's been the same way it's been since creation. Let's just plant our fields and marry and just meander and dilly-dally through life with no concept that there's a world to be, to be reached and an enemy trying to stop the church through division and preference and uncleanness. Listen, if you're not shining the light, you're not in the battle. If you're not committed to a local church, you're not in a battle. If you're tearing down your local church, you're not in the battle, plain and simple. The question is, will you enter into a covenant with God and his people where it's all hands on deck or will you buy into the cruise ship membership mentality? You see, ultimately how we walk together and fulfill God's purpose together determines our success here at this church. See, each local church has a unique vision God has given it. And while the greater kingdom is always in view, God calls us to be all into the unique vision at the local church he calls us to. And to covenant with each other is to carry out that unique vision. That's what the covenant is all about. We covenant together, knowing God has placed us here for such a time as this. We look at that unique vision we say, I'm in, I'm all aboard. 
Okay, so let's talk a little bit about that mission and vision. Some people are like, well, there's a vision and then there's a mission statement. And some people, no, it's the mission first and vision. I don't know all that stuff, but we're just going to do it this way, okay? Last week, you heard what from Tim? He gave us a mission that's in the Bible. Jesus gave it to us. What is it called? The Great Commission. The Great Commission. Every church takes that mission and says, how do we kind of reword that to make it unique to us? And that's what we did here. So let me show you the mission. Now, a mission is what we're called to do, right? That's what a mission statement does. It says, here's what you're called to do. Here's the battleship, okay? Here's the battleship that we're doing. Let's look at it. The mission. At TBA, we live set to be the hands, feet, and you might notice a change, because there's a change now, and the voice of Jesus to touch our community and the world with the gospel. That's the Great Commission. That's the battleship. Okay, we're on that, right? We're headed that way. We've got a mission from God to go into all the world. Let's look at the vision. The vision is how we do it. We've never said this before at this church, ever. But this is how we do it. It's important that we say, here's the mission, but we're just not meandering around. Here's how we do it. At TVA, we live to be the hands, feet, and voice of Jesus. By what? Loving each other. Koinonia, they'll know us by our love. Living sent together. Seeking God's agenda together. Being the voice of Jesus everywhere we go with the gospel and growing together. That's how we do it. And we're going to have something coming up called the family gathering. If any of you, were you guys at Experiencing God on Wednesday or Sunday night? Some of you like raise your hand. We had a few in there. You may have experienced this. Remember the night we passed the mic and said, what's God doing? What's the agenda for the church? How's he moving? How's the spirit of God moving? Do you, some of you remember, not at me. It was powerful. God moved. And that's what we're going to do at these family gatherings. We're going to see how we do it. And then we're going to have this thing called a scorecard that measures the success of how we're doing it. That takes each one of those and breaks it down a little more. We started way up here with the mission, then we're down here with the vision, and now we're seeing how are we doing it? Let's go do it. Let's go practice it. How are we doing it? We'll break it down. Speaking of family gatherings, it'll be at our family gathering that we'll be asking you to covenant with this church, with this church family to do the vision. So I've got a really way too long definition of what the family gathering is. You ready? All right, hold on, please, because it's great. You're not supposed to do this in PowerPoint presentation. Fit a thousand words on one, so here goes a thousand words on one. Here it is. The family gathering is a once a month Sunday evening gathering for those who are willing to walk together in covenant to the unique vision God has given this church. It's one of the main gatherings that we come together to practice Koinonia Fellowship, synergy with each other in the spirit as the body of Christ. Guys, we're gonna be doing this in the middle of March and we're gonna give you a date soon so you can be a part of that. But you need to understand something. This is not a cruise ship commitment but a powerful bond in the spirit. This is where we say, this is where God has parked me and I will be part, not begrudgingly, but positively in covenant here at TVA with God's people. We need to band together. See, we often forget what's on on the line. What's on the line? If we don't band together, what's on the line? Our families, our world, our country, our marriages, our church. That's what walking in family covenant together looks like. It's a covenantal war, war cry. I don't know if that's really a word. I kind of coined it this week and looked it up and I didn't see it, but covenantal, in other words, a covenant war cry. So for today, I just coined a new phrase, covenantal, all right? So you can hang with me. But it's our covenantal war cry. Listen to 2 Samuel ten twelve, And this is a version called the Tree of Life version that paints a really cool picture in the Hebrew, but it says this, Kazak. It was the covenantal war cry in Hebrew. 
be brave and courageous. Be brave and courageous. Kazak. And let us take courage for the sake of our people and the city of our God. And may Adonai, the Lord, do what is good in his eyes. And I love this part. We will, we will, we will protect what God has given us. We will fight. Be brave and courageous. It's a covenantal war cry that Joab made with the people. See, they were surrounded by the enemy. And Joab, the commander of of Israel, makes this covenant war cry with them and says, Look, we got to be all in. We're surrounded. God has given us a mission. We will not give up on what God has called us to, and we will fight, and we will protect what God has given us. We're in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual war. I love in one translation of this, it says, show yourselves strong. Youth, show yourselves strong. Show yourselves strong, TBA. They showed themselves by banding together and saying no one will get left behind. How many of you remember the Disney movie Lilo and Stitch? I love me some Lilo and Stitch, all right? Okay, I, I have a soft spot for Disney movies. I'm sorry. I used one at the youth retreat, and I was like, man, they're going to, like, eat me alive because I used Lion King, but they were cool with it. But I love Lilo and Stitch. And remember when Stitch first comes home with Lilo, and Lilo's sister's like, you need to, to boot him out. Because Stitch is shredding everything, and, and she's like, what is that, a dog or a mutant, or what is that? And Lilo looks at her sister and says, Ohana. Ohana means family, and it means that nobody gets left behind. And I love at the end of the movie, it's so cool. Stitch is leaving, and he looks, and he finally, it, he, she finally understands what Ohana is. He says, we are small, and we are broken, but we are Ohana. We are family. TVA, we may be small, we may be broken, but that's an opportunity for our God to fill in the places of our brokenness with the power of his Holy Spirit and the resurrection life. No one gets left behind at TVA. That's gotta be our motto. Ohana, we are small and broken, but we are family. And no one gets left behind. We need to sound off the covenantal war cry and protect what God has given us. Value what God has given us. Look, there may not be swords and spears and, bloods and blood and guts. We aren't in a physical battle, but a spiritual one. And the weapons of, this is scripture, the weapons of our warfare are not of this world. They are mighty through God. Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy, and he primarily does this through apathy, division, and opinions. Guys, we have a chance to do something God-sized at TBA. God is poising us, getting us ready to do some great things in his name. He's cleaning house. He's overturning the money changers in our hearts. God wants to cleanse us. He wants us to all repent. He wants us to come to him. If Jesus could look at us like he does Revelation. Remember the church in Revelation? There's seven churches and he has a letter to them and he says, here's the things I love about you guys. I love this. You guys are amazing. You're rocking it here. You're doing great. But here's some trouble. Here's some places of some gaps you need to fill. You need to think about this. I want to correct you in this. And those I correct are the ones I love. And I feel like when God looks at this church, he says, you're divided. You don't have koinonia. You're too distant. Come together in my name. Start gathering together and seeking my agenda. Koinonia. That's what we're doing here. See, if we want to have a healthy mission, we have to be a healthy body. Remember I said in the first week, healthy body, healthy mission. We have to become a healthy body to have a healthy mission. That's the season we are in as a church. Revival comes with a cost. I'll be honest with you with revival. I was hoping that we would throw up a couple songs, do a prayer night, and God would come. I'm sorry, I'll just be really admit 
that I was that short-sighted. But revival comes with a cost. And it means everybody, everybody is all in, that we have to do this. Covenant is not easy. Covenant comes with a cost. You have to be all in because it involves dying to selfishness, to dying to self. That's why the cross is the central symbol of the covenant. Think about it, a torture device. We wear around our necks, yet it's the heart of the covenant, forever symbolizing the love relationship God has with us. We like that part, but here's the part we don't like, because it's also the symbol of the cost of following him, that we must die to ourselves. See, personally, and as a church, to resist the cross is to lose its power in us and through us. Jesus said we must deny ourselves and pick up our cross and follow him. If we try to avoid the cross, we can't experience the fullness of the blessings that are already ours in the new covenant. Look, you wanna know why you're not growing in Christ? Because you're not picking up your cross. You're avoiding the cross. If we take up our cross, we must realize it's not something to suffer on, it's something to die on. They're polar apart. It's something to die upon. The cross shows us that we can't take covenant with each other lightly. Jesus gave up everything so we could walk in covenant. We too must be willing to give up all in order to walk in covenant with God and each other. Pick up your cross. See, here's the deal. Christians are asleep in the light. We're asleep in the light when a dying world is out there. And Jesus said, pick up your cross daily and follow me. He didn't say pick up your mattress. But we're asleep in the light. And God says, wake up. Kazak, protect what I've given you. Come together and do this. We too must be willing to give up all in order to walk in covenant with God and each other. That's what he asks. We must run the race together. In Hebrews, it's an amazing book in the Bible, but Paul, the author, talks to a church that wants to stop running the race. If you've read that book, he knows, run the race with perseverance. Paul tells this church, but he's talking to a church that life is hitting them hard and they wanna stop meeting together and give up. They're starting to be persecuted because of the name of Jesus. They're losing their jobs. They're losing their families. Everything's on the line for them. And they're like, forget it. I'm done. I'm out of the church. I'm going back to the old ways. I'm not doing this. And Paul's like, wait, wait, wait. See, we're the same, aren't we? And while it may not be persecution, when life hits us hard, what do we do? Exactly what they're trying to do. Give up on the people of God. Give up on church. We run away. I've seen it so often. We're like, well, I've got to get my stuff together over here with God before I can be a part of the church. And God's like, you get in the church so I can heal you and so I can take care of you and show you my covenantal love. That's what God does. That's what he wants. Satan wants to divide and conquer you, get you away from the church in the moment of your crisis. And Paul is talking to this church. And he's saying, wait, wait. And in the book of Hebrews was written again to that Jewish believers getting torn up. But Paul makes a statement. He says, this is what you're doing. When you're giving up the race on Jesus, you're giving up on each other. Don't do that. And in Hebrews 10, 22 to 25, there's four things he's gonna say to them. And remember, because we read the Bible. I'll put it up there. Let's put the very first verse up. We read the Bible like this. Instead of let us, let us together, let us 
We read, let me draw near to God with a sincere heart. But the Bible was written to a covenant community together. And he's talking to this group of people wanting to abandon the faith. And he says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Why are they guilty? Because they want to run away. And having our bodies washed with pure water. Is that separately? It was together that God wants to do that. Look at the next thing, verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Where were they professing it and becoming persecuted? Out in the marketplace, out in their job, out in the world. He says, hold on to the hope we profess out there. For he who is promised is faithful. Verse 24, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us, and he's going to sum it up here. This is everything he's been saying. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. You see, it's against this backdrop. This backdrop of wanting to give up. I'm done. I can't take anymore. The heat is on, God. I can't do it. That Paul drops this on him and says, look, don't give up on each other. That's where God has placed you. So listen to these four things. We need to draw near in assurance together. We hold fast through the storms of life together. See, something happens when God's people assemble. When God's people start to move, his presence, God's presence, and his presence changes everything. See, we want to work on it over here. Satan's like, you know, you're not worthy. Don't go to church. Be over here and do this, and you can get right with God. And God's like, no, you need to be over here where you can get in my presence because I have people around you who are carrying my presence in covenantial love that I want to love on you. See, we get alone in life. Life hits us down and we're like, God, why did you let this happen? And we get depressed and bitter and we lose assurance. And we need to get in here. We need to get in our small group. We need to get in our D groups. We need to get into men's ministry. We need to do the things that God has called us to do so the presence of God can minister to our needs. Number two and three, we need to hold fast to our hope and spur one another on. He's not saying individually, he's saying together. In other words, face the trials out there together. Hold fast together. Listen, my fault, my hope falters. I'm just going to be real with you. My hope falters when I'm alone. My hope falters. But when I look at you, 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 I have hope again. When you have faith, it lifts me up when I don't have faith. My hope falters, but together we strengthen each other. I love the verse in Ecclesiastes. It says, says that one may be overpowered. Two can sit back to back and at least defend themselves, but a strand of three corded around together are strong and they're on the offensive and they can master anything and they can win the fight. I like that. See, they can't face persecution alone. They'll break. They're out in the marketplace. They're getting chased out of their families. And he's saying, don't lose your witness. Don't back down or run away. Continue to live bold out there in the face of opposition, but do it together. And I love the next one. Sometimes we just need somebody to spur us along, right? Have you ever gotten those little crazy spurs in your socks? You know, you're out in the field and those little sand spurs and they get in there. And even though you wash them, they're still on your socks and they're still hurting you, right? 
See, that's what we're supposed to be to each other. It's like the, the cowboy spurs. Who in your life is spurring you on when you can't get there? Who's making you uncomfortable because they love you? Who's spurring you on when you're living by feelings and not by faith? Because we all do that. We need somebody to spur us on when we want to give up. And the last one ties it all together. We need to continue meeting together consistently, consistently. And here's where we get to the meat of the message, where Paul sums it up. Why do you need to be in covenant? Why do we need to be in covenant? To keep you from regressing spiritually or abandoning the faith altogether. See, the moment you profess faith, Satan goes to work trying to lure you into turning your back on Jesus. He won't be satisfied until he renders you ineffective. Often the first sign of spiritual slippage or when things happen in our life is detachment from the church. But that's why you need the church. To keep you on track. To hold you accountable. To remind you of your responsibility. To care for you during the disasters of your life. And to encourage you as you keep walking down the right path. And I love this quote. You don't need the church to be saved, but you need it to make sure you're living like you're saved. I love that. See, Jesus is the only way you're saved. The church doesn't save you, but what the church does is say, are you living like you're saved? How many of you have that in your life? Who's spurring you on? Why? Because none of us is immune from falling, from sinning, and from being blindsided by life. Look, if you're like, man, I can't believe that person did that. How could they do? Then you don't know the darkness of your own heart. We are amazing sinners. And we need each other to hold us accountable. Because none of us, none of us are immune to falling. We need the family of God. We need to have a strong covenant commitment to each other. So you guys were at the bonfire. Raise your hand again just to get your body moving, get your blood flowing. It was awesome. And those flames were going crazy high, right? Did you see how high they went? Again, first service, I was like, they were so high. I had no words for it. It was just this wall of fire. But see, it's a beautiful picture of the church. Have you ever tried to build a fire with a single log? Once the kindling burns out, the fire slowly dies, leaving behind a few smoldering embers and some smoke. However, just add a few extra logs and some fresh air, then watch the flames erupt. See, the church works on the same principle. That was a beautiful picture of how the church works out there. We are those logs that climb up on the altar to be consumed by the fiery love of our God. Our God is a consuming fire. A fire that cannot die when everybody does their part. When we covenant together, the more logs on the fire combined with the fresh wind of this Holy Spirit, the bigger and the stronger the fire will be. TBA needs your spark in order to keep the fire burning. This is the season God has us in. It's the logs being put on the altar. But how many of you know there's no one there that's going to chase you down to the altar? Nobody's going to push you onto the altar. Jesus leads you to the altar because he went to the altar first and died. And he calls us to get ourselves on the altar. 
to place ourselves with the other logs on the altar and let the fire of the Spirit come down. We must seek Him with all our hearts. We must walk in family covenant together. Because you're either going through a storm, you're coming out of a storm, or headed towards a storm. That's life. That's life. But our God will make sure you don't drown. He'll make sure you get through the fires. He'll be with you if you're in this. In family covenant. Band, you can come up. I want to close with one of my favorite scriptures. It's Isaiah 54.10. And we've talked a lot about us. We've talked a lot about me and us and, and the church. But let's talk about our God. Because he's the one that established the covenant. And our God is unchanging, unswerving commitment to you. I want you to hear this. Please hear this. Because of covenant, if you know Jesus, our God has unswerving commitment to you. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 54.10. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed. Why does he say mountains and hills? Because those are things that shouldn't move, right? They should be stable, but life is never stable. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken nor my covenant of peace be removed from you, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Listen, our covenant God is unchanging, unswerving towards you. He will sustain you. That's our covenant God. You need to remember this morning our covenant God. And there's some of you, you're you're not in a relationship with, with Jesus through covenant. He paid the price. You can't be good enough to be in covenant with him. He paid the price. He took the place of us on the cross. We deserve death because of our sins. But Jesus took our place so you could come and know the Father, that you could be forgiven of your sins. And all he says is admit you're a sinner and call on my name and you will be saved. If you'll just bow your head and close your eyes this morning, some of you need to make that commitment for the first time today. Don't leave here without saying yes to Jesus. If he's knocking on the door of your heart, if you don't know you belong to him, if you don't know that you're in a covenant relationship with him, today you need to enter in the covenant. And it's through Jesus. So nothing magical about the prayer, but just pray this, not out loud, but just pray this after me. Father, please forgive all my sins. Thank you for giving your son to die on the cross for me. Lord, come into my life. I accept your covenant. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. And as the band plays, maybe this morning, the mountains are being shaken, the hills are being removed, life is messy, life is crazy. I want you to come over and step out. When the music's playing, you come over to next steps. Let us pray with you. Man, there is power in prayer. There'll be a prayer team over there. I'll be over there. If you just need prayer for anything, come over. Let us anoint you. Let us pray over you. Let, whatever you want, we'll do. But God's people need each other. And maybe today for the first time you accepted Christ as your savior. You've come into the covenant. I want you to get out of your seat and I want you to go over to the next steps. We want to help you on that path. God is our unchanging, unfailing, unswerving covenant God. And he will walk with you through all the storms of life. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that you are God and we are not. We thank you that all judgment is yours and that you're holy and good and righteous. And Father, what I thank you most 
is that you said you would care for us, that you never leave us, that you have unfailing love for us, that you have covenantal love for us. It says, you're mine, you belong to me, and I will take care of you. Father, I praise you for that. That you look at each one of us, knowing each of our needs, and saying, you belong to me, and I'm gonna take care of you. And you're under my authority, under my power, under my care. Thank you, God, because that's who you are. Father, I pray that you fill this place with your spirit. You touch every heart right now, Holy Spirit. God, that you remind us of who you are. Father, many of us woke today, and your word says that we awake anew to mercies every day. Not a single mercy, but mercies. But most of us missed it, but it's still available. Unlock our hearts to those mercies, God. Father, go for us. Go before us in this church. We need your wisdom. We need your counsel. We need your guidance, God. Just as Moses said, don't send us unless you're going with us. Father, it's great that you've given us vision, but Father, what do you want? What's your heart? God, help your people to seek your agenda. Lord, we need you and we love you. You're so good. In Jesus' name, amen.